From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Florida no doubt showed some grit in Jacksonville, but it wasn't enough against the number one team in the nation, as Georgia withstood a furious charge in the third quarter and dropped the Gators to 4-4 four and four with just four games left to play. On today's show, we'll welcome FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry to our roundtable to discuss takeaways from Florida, Georgia the surprising dismissal of Brenton Cox Jr. and what it says about the importance of the culture Billy Napier is establishing, expectations for this week's game against a reeling Texas A&M, the start of basketball season on Monday, and ugly scenes surrounding games in the PAT. Then, sophomore receiver Xavier Henderson talks about his explosive touchdown against the Bulldogs, learning from his brother CJ and how he's seen the program change in the last year. But first, it's time for the Gator Roundtable, presented by Pet Paradise. Pet Paradise is your complete pet healthcare destination, with resort-style day camp, overnight boarding, professional grooming, and compassionate veterinary care from New Day, all located under one roof to serve pet fanatics like you. Book today at PetParadise.com, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. Let us jump into this week's roundtable. It's a, 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 a tighter roundtable today. It's uh, it's Gators, Scott, Gators, Christie, the original trio. The core four doesn't work because there's only three of us, but it's the original trio here for our roundtable. Uh, lots to get to, guys. Let's go ahead and start with Florida, Georgia in the aftermath of that. Let's, we'll talk first about the game and then some of the other things have happened off the field since then. Um, but in, in terms of the game itself, I'm curious how you guys look back on that because on one hand... You know, Florida had some fight and they made it close for a little while, but then ultimately the result was still the same as Vegas expected, uh, you know, a three touchdown loss. So do you take anything from Florida, Georgia, or is it they played the number one team, you saw the disparity and there's not much you can you can get from it? Yeah, I think, you know, the big picture is what you just kind of summarized, Adam. These are two programs that right now are in different spots. You know, Georgia's number one in the country. Uh, they're the reigning national champion. And while it's, you know, arguably the Gators' biggest rival, and Florida has had a lot of success against the Bulldogs in the last 30 years, right now the, the rivalry is swung back clearly in Georgia's favor. And the task for the Gators is to get back on their level. And uh, I think we all saw that on Saturday – and, you know, I'll give the Gators credit. I mean, when it was 28-3 to at halftime, it, you know, I was thinking 51-10 to 10 or something final score. I didn't think it was going to turn into a game. And, you know, Gators came out there in the third quarter and I thought played one of their best quarters of the season. You know, they caused some turnovers. They finally got the offense going and suddenly it's a 28-20 game. But deep down, I, you know, it still felt like, Maybe that was the last straw for Florida when the when uh, Anthony Richardson hit Henderson and Georgia responded quickly with that scoring drive and, and it was over at that point. And I think for Florida, you know, it just kind of crystallized the work ahead for Billy Napier. His comment after the game, not good enough to beat Georgia. 
and there's no other way to say. It. I mean, right now this program is not good enough to compete with the number one ranked team in the country for four quarters. This is a Florida team that clearly has some issues with the roster and depth and talent. But I do think that Billy Napier has instilled in them kind of this this fight. Hey, let's go out there and represent ourselves well. And I thought that was the that was shown in the second half comeback. They've got four games to go. They're gonna need that same kind of attitude to, you know, to get to a bowl game. They still need two more wins to get bowl eligible. There's four games on the schedule. You look at them all on paper and with what we've seen from this Florida team, I think they'll be in all four games, but they're going to have to make some key plays and have some big performances to win a couple. And I think that's the mission right now, to try to get out of this season on a positive note uh, besides you know showing that you put up a good fight against Georgia. I think they need more than that before the offseason. Just think about this for a second. I mean, the, everyone's been talking about the defense the last few weeks, and rightfully so, especially after what happened with LSU. Georgia had the most yards ever in a, uh, for a Georgia team in a Florida-Georgia game hmm. um, uh, and going up and down the field. And yet Florida turned them over three times. Uh, first game, I mean, after after what LSU did, it, what they didn't punt for like the first eight possessions, I think two weeks earlier, you know, Florida had three and out on the first play. So the defense did some things, but they still got up and down, up and down the field. The quotes from Billy Napier have, were pretty similar to what they were, you know, two weeks earlier against LSU in terms of how much he likes the team and to Scott's point, um, the fight did quit and stuff like that. And, and that, that's all admirable stuff. But, you know, fans, you know, fans are going to want to see tangible stuff. And I, man, when we did, when we were doing spring podcast guys and we were talking about this team and talking about what Billy Napier inherited, um, and, you know, even outside other podcasts, in podcast universe, uh, uh, the Gator podcast universe, they were talking about what Billy Napier was walking into, uh, a dearth of talent. And, you know, people were saying then, man, if, you know, after a six or seven, you know, he, maybe he can go seven and five. And if he's eight and four, maybe he's coach of the, of the coach of the year in the SEC, given what he's inheriting. They're on track for that. And yet, and, and they're, there's a lot of noise, uh, external noise about, well, why this team isn't winning. This is what we expected. This is the team that we kind of expected. So uh, Shane Matthews, who I think has, has, has really good takes, he brought up the point, three of the best players on this team, uh, Cyrus O'Torrance, maybe the best player. He's probably the best player on the team. He's going to be first-round draft pick, everyone's saying, right? Uh, Ricky Pearsall, Montrell Johnson, let's add uh, Travis Entien, um, Etienne. Uh Billy Napier brought those guys here, okay? So let's give him some time to build the roster because the way what we've seen so far is he knows how to identify talent. And right now he has to play with the talent that he inherited. He's not complaining about it, okay? I know a lot of people externally are complaining. Internally, they know what they have. They know the tasks they're up against. And playing a team with the five stars and the, and the, the, the roster like, like Georgia – you know, what happened the other day was not a surprise by any, by any stretch of the imagination. I will say Anthony Richard played better than he did a year ago, and he should have been because, you know, he's, he's you know, this what was his, his ninth start, I believe, tenth start of, of his career. So uh, he showed he showed a little bit, but there's, there's so much uh, left to be done, and uh, the work to make this team better is going to happen after this season is over. So right now they're doing what they can to, 
kind of salvage a season out of this and salvage a bowl season out of this, and they, they want that. But, I mean, it, it, uh, these next four games are, are obviously obviously winnable games. Um, let's see if we see more improvement down the line because they're going to be – they're not going to play a team like Georgia the rest of the season. We do know that, and that's a plus. Hmm. In terms of trying to win those next four games, uh, they're going to be doing it without Brenton Cox Jr., who – Pretty pretty shocking, I would say, for, for most when it was announced on Monday that he had been dismissed from the team. I know that details about this are limited, as you would expect when something happens like this that's mostly behind the scenes. But what do we know about the Brenton Cox situation and what it means for Florida the rest of this season? Well, I mean, you know, there's no doubt that Brenton Cox Jr. is one of their most talented players, certainly on defense, has been all year. Um you know, he was pretty quiet against Georgia. Uh, you know, a lot of buzz last week going into that game about him playing against the Bulldogs again, played on both sides of that rivalry. But I think in the big picture, you know, really since he got here, you know, it's not been smooth per se for him or or to coach. I think he's just a guy, you know, he, he's been called out a lot for, you know, not fulfilling his assignments on the field. Um, yeah, I didn't, but I didn't see, you know, this coming this week. It is evidently some things, uh, you know, behind the scenes and whatever it was, Billy Napier had seen enough, you know, to basically dismiss a player in the middle of the season. That's not going to happen very often unless that guy is doing something the coach really doesn't like. And, um, so now the Gators are left to, you know, fill that role. I don't think it's going to matter. I think you know, the big picture with where they are as a program. I don't think it's going to significantly impact them. I think you're going to see some guys like Justice Spoon and Antoine uh, Powell uh, Randall get some more playing time um, and maybe some other guys just to get them some reps. Uh, Cox, again, he's having an okay season, probably had a better season last year, really, uh, than he has this year. Uh, so, I, But I think what we're seeing here, guys, is some attrition that, you know, we're going to see throughout the offseason, you'll probably see a lot of guys in these last four games who we probably don't see next year. That's just the nature of a transitional program. And it's probably a good thing, to be honest with you, for Florida, because, you know, what they have right now <laughs> isn't where they want to be. And I, I, I give the coaches staff, I think they're, they're, they are, I think, kind of maximizing what they have. They're getting the most uh, mileage out of this group as they can and you know like chris said earlier i mean this isn't really too much of a surprise if you really go back and look at where okay eight and four seven and five that's probably a really good year in year one can they get to eight and four that's gonna be hard they gotta win four in a row seven and five is more realistic they go seven and five and get a bowl game i think you give billy napier and the staff pat on the back and say go get some recruits guys <laughs> So I, I was thinking about this situation in the aftermath of Cox being dismissed and, and big picture. Let me see if I can articulate this the way that I want to. So I think it's pretty undeniable that Brenton Cox Jr. gives you a better chance to win the final four games than not having him. He's one of your better players. He's made leads the team in tackles for loss. So I think you can objectively say that he gives you a better chance to win those last four games. So my question is, what does it say? about Billy Napier and the emphasis on culture that he is willing to part with someone when he 
possibly could have given him a better chance to win the next few games, but recognizing how important building that culture is to the bigger picture as you build for the future. Well, I mean, since day one, you know, Billy Napier has talked in depth about how important that culture is, and we've seen him lay some of the, the bricks of that foundation, whether it be the Gator Maid program, getting the guys' suits in the offseason, uh, his embracing of the NIL and those kind of opportunities for his players. I think that's paramount. So if you're preaching that to your team and you've got a guy who maybe isn't living up to your standards and it's impacting other guys in the locker room, um, I think that's important to make that statement if that's what you're about and that's what you're selling. So I think he's he's committed to this plan that he has for this program, guys. And obviously, player accountability beyond the field is a large part of that. And if you're not going to live up to that standard, guess what? You don't have a future in the program. And again, we don't know all the specifics here uh, with Britton Cox Jr. Uh, but I'm guessing, you know, if you gave Billy Napier some truth serum, he's probably got a list of things that he doesn't like from what he's seen over the past few months. And it just built up to where, okay, I'm ready to to turn the page with this player. And uh, so, you know, I, I think that's important, man. If, if that's what you're selling and you're, and even if you're one of your best players seems to be living in his own Island, if you don't do, if you don't address that, guess what? You're going to lose respect of the locker room. And so to me, I, I think that's an important move for any coach who is, who has preached culture as much as Billy has. In one of my first few seasons here, Adam, uh, Billy Donovan had a had an issue with a player, and he he took the most drastic step and and uh, jacked the guy out of the out of the building for a certain amount of time. And his his answer to that was, "I'd rather lose the game than sacrifice culture." And mm-hmm. so uh, when you're when you're a hard liner like that, people know where you stand. I'm not tolerating this. So now there's a bar. Mm-hmm. Brenton Cox um, uh, stepped over it, and and now the people in the locker room have an idea. Especially those young players; um, those young players will be able to talk to future younger players about something like that. And I am a big advocate of that kind of um, control uh, when it comes to coach, because so many coaches now, the way just the way the rules are set up, there are 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 losing leverage. Uh, with players in terms of making them, you know, toe the, toe the company line, if you would. Um, and this is the only way to go about it. He, the guy, the guy's not playing football anymore. And now he's preparing for the NFL draft. And, you know, he, now he's going to have to – he was probably given warnings. I don't know this, uh, Scott. I don't think Scott knows it either. But I'm sure he's been talked about whatever led up to this. Now he's got to talk about that to NFL teams that are interested in drafting him. Mm-hmm. So there is some ramification from it, and uh, hopefully, you know, but the, it turns out it turns out good for Brenton Cox. Mm-hmm. He has to bounce back from this. So the final third here begins with Texas A&M on the road. You talk about a program with a lot of noise. Uh, it's very very noisy in College Station. Although unless you have, I think it's like seventy or eighty million dollars on hand, you can't really do much to to quell that noise. Um, but this is an AM team that is kind of in free fall right now at a very different stage in their re- rebuild process, return to prominence process than Florida is. 
where do we see this matchup taking place? Where is this game going to be decided? In, in what areas? College Station, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, these are two programs that are at different places. And yet, when you look at where their seasons are, they're kind of in the same place. They're trying to uh, figure some things out and finish strong before it's too late. Uh here in Gainesville, while it's disappointing and, you know, some fans are over the top, I think people who understand the big picture kind of realize, like we've talked about earlier, guys, this isn't really too far-fetched where the Gators are at 4-4. Four four. But now if you're an Aggies fan out in College Station, and you signed the number one class in the country, and your head coach is taking shots at, you know, Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin in the offseason, well, you're expecting big things. And Three and five is is not the kind of big things they had in mind. And, you know, in, in their defense, you know, they lost their starting quarterback early in the year. That's going to impact any team. But, again, you, they've got a great recruiting there. But they've also had, what, three or four guys off of that recruiting class suspended. So it's just been a tumultuous season for Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies. And, uh, you know, they are at a place where – you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that program evolves with Jimbo because they've got so much money invested in him that, you know, there is feels like they're stuck with him for a while. But then again, are they really? I mean, these boosters have proven over and over they've got the money to cut ties with coaches when they want to and pay them off. Uh, it's, a, it's a strange. I don't world. know if they have that much money, Scott. That's a lot of money. <laughs> you know, it is. It is. But, I, you know. I, I mean, I'm not expecting Jimbo out any soon, but, you know, if this goes on for another couple of seasons, who knows? Everything's off the table. Uh, but I do believe that it's Jimbo Fisher. I, I can't think of any coach in the country right now who's probably feeling as much pressure as he is to turn his program around. And now you got a Florida team that's coming out there, which, again, I see this game as kind of a coin toss. Uh, is it's It's not a game that's – out of the reach for the Gators to play well and win. Well, we'll see, guys, one of those classic SEC matchups that we get late in the season that um, <laughs> there's going to be chatter about it, whoever wins or loses. I want to turn our attention to basketball. And rather than asking you a, a convoluted question, Chris, I'm going to pose to you the question that multiple people asked me that I saw in Jacksonville for Florida, Georgia. And I wasn't sure how to answer it, but I knew that you would. Uh, it, it's quite simply this. Is Florida going to be good? Your thoughts? <laughs> so that was the buzz. Inquiring minds wanted to know that. I think a lot of fans just want to know, hey, what should we expect? Is this is this going to be a good year? Is this a rebuild? Is this a maybe compete? Where do you think the bar is as uh, as this team opens its season? The bar, for, as far as Todd Golden is concerned, he you know he wants to go to the NCAA tournament and. I mean, I'll tell you right now, I mean, his team was 20 and 14 uh, NIT team last year. This is a better team than last year. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll see what happens as far as wins being stacked on each other. But, I mean, the team went 9 and 9 in the league last year. And I, 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 I believe the roster has been upgraded. Uh, uh, and and you, have, you have one of the best players in the SEC in the middle of it in Colin Castleton. You've added Kyle Lofton, who made his, if you will, on-court debut last week. He got cleared from his groin injury. And played in the uh, scrimmage against Jacksonville, which was the morning of the Florida-Georgia game up in Jacksonville. Um, JU's a, 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 a mid-major, you'd call him maybe probably a low major out of the A-Sun that 
that's that's being that's some people are picking to win that league either either Jacksonville or Liberty. Um, they Florida went up there and I think won the game by 17 or 18 points, depending on which box score you uh, you saw. I've got a little bit of intel from that game. Um, uh, but but the addition of these players, uh, you're talking about, and, and these things are going to play themselves out. Um, while getting back uh, Colin and Kowasi Reeves, uh, who has cut his hair, by the way, he's no longer has the bleach blonde spout that goes oh, no. uh, out of his head. In fact, I saw him yesterday. He's got bleach blonde hair with or, uh, uh, bleach blonde close crop hair with red hearts all decorated. And he said, <laughs> next thing for the season opener, he may put a gator on his head. You know, branding as it is, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it works out. But um, those those guys back, I think C.J. Felder is a player who who has distinguished himself um, during the preseason. Um, we didn't hear a lot about him last year, Adam. I, mean, I think he averaged uh, three points a game, maybe three rebounds a game. He was a transfer from Boston College, uh, kind of hurt his groin, was in and out of the lineup, didn't play a whole lot. Uh, he's beaten out Alex Fudge, the transfer from LSU, for the starting four position. And that speaks to um, – I, I just see a different body language, see a different attitude with him. And so much of this has to do with uh, Todd Golden's ability to cultivate some relationships with his players and kind of kind of be a real – I mean, he, it, it's, this is really important to him. And, and if, you, if you read my story, you could read a little bit about how, how just over the course of his life um, – from the time he was a young kid to the time that he went to his high school team, uh, won a state championship, his his career at St. Mary's has always been about relationship and, and being a great teammate and nothing being about him. Um, and I think his teams are going to be a reflection on that. And I tell you what, uh, a couple weeks ago, they had a bad moment in practice. He stopped practice and made them do this running drill. And after they ran, and they, he killed them in this running drill, and he called them in the middle, and he said, guys, I do not like doing this to you, believe me. But we were practicing like a freaking NIT team today. And he does not believe they're an NIT team. Just like when they started in an 11 nothing hole in JU on Saturday, he called a timeout and went up their backsides with some stuff that probably they didn't hear uh, the, in a delivery, the likes of which they hadn't heard in a long time. So um, he thinks he can do that because of his relationship with them. One guy who wasn't playing well, after they yelled at him, took him out of the game, put him back in the game, he helped turn the tide in this game and helped, helped the Gators kind of get back on track. I think they were up by six or seven at half, and then, like I said, we went in, won by 17 or 18 points. So um, season opener Monday against Stony Brook. Part of a doubleheader with the women. It's uh, this is the eight. Well, that's the that's the flag drop for this uh, for this Gator team. Um, Schedule is not particularly difficult. The first, uh, I believe, couple games they get FSU on the road uh, in two weeks. That'll be a good little, uh, uh, obviously not a good little, a, a good uh, marker for where this team is right now, and maybe something about expectations. And of course, later in the month. Just a phenomenal tournament out in Portland with Duke, Gonzaga, a bunch of really, really good teams that uh, Florida could potentially face out there. Moving on to our PAT, uh, I wanted to talk about just wild scenes in sports. And, and I'm inspired, well, I guess I'm not inspired by, it's pretty horrifying, uh, what we saw 
in Ann Arbor where Michigan State had a group of guys basically gang up on a Michigan player, wasn't even dressed out in the tunnel after the game, um, and beat the guy up to the degree that some of those players are possibly going to face criminal charges for it. It was very, very bizarre and just shocking to see. So it got me thinking for all the events, games that you guys have covered, uh, what are some scenes you've encountered that were just like that, where it went well beyond whatever was supposed to be taking place on the field to where it became the biggest story? Well, I mean, I got one in recent memory related to the Gators, and that was the uh, 2020 game against Missouri at the Swamp. You know, I, I still remember the first half being over and the teams going off to the field and and the next thing I see is, you know, Dan Mullen and Eli Drinkwitz going at it down on the field, like in each other's face. And then suddenly players got involved and, and you know, it, it got very uh, testy there. And then uh, Mullen, you know, kind of urged the crowd on a little bit, probably not his finest moment, uh, but it did create uh, atmosphere that night that was a little bit more, um, I guess, exciting or entertaining dramatic than what the game offered uh that so that that's one that i just like i said i just remember like what is going on here because i just didn't i didn't pick up that late hit that they thought missouri delivered at the end of the half and then you know you just so often by the time the teams start running off to the locker room you're getting up from your seat going to get a drink or bathroom or something but i hung around that night um but I mean, there's been so you know. I, I mean, I'm big on watching these documentaries, uh, Adam, that Netflix is showing lately uh, on some of the historic events in sports that you kind of forgot about, and they revisit them with the the participants. And I watched the one recently, the Malice at the Palace, with uh, when the Pistons got in a fight a few years ago. Uh, with, that was almost uh, 20 years ago, I feel like, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I remember it being so big at the time. But, you know, you kind of, there's those things just kind of, you forget them because we're so overloaded now with more information that sometimes the those things from 20 years ago or longer, you're like, oh, man, can you imagine what that would have been like in the social media age? It would have been unreal. And, you know, you've got fans, you've got players, fighting and it was quite the scene the nba actually suspended people and and really came down hard at the time uh so that's one that you know we visit I, you know another one it wasn't away from the game but what about latrell spreewell choking pj carlesimo you you think that'd be a lot of coverage on social media these days yeah so you know there, there's a lot of those that just off the top of my head those come to mind but the one in recent memory at Florida certainly was that that 2020 game against Missouri. And, uh, you know, it ended with Dan Mullen in a Darth Vader costume at, in his press conference. So what else do we need to say? <laughs> in 2002, I was covering the, the Bucks. The year they won the Super Bowl. And um, I'm down on the field at, 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 the, end of, at the end of this Packers-Bucks uh, uh, game. And the, the, the Bucks are, try, are trying to close it out. And there was a, a pick six that, that Favre had thrown. Um, I forget who the player was who was returning it, but uh, Warren Sapp came back on a uh, on a offensive lineman by the name of Chad Clifton, uh, who was a great player from Tennessee, 
and and uh, whew, just just devastated him on this on this interception return. Wiped Clifton out. They had to help him off the field. I, I think he, they they stretchered him off. He ended, it ended up being a very very serious injury. Anyway, after the game, the two teams are coming together, and I guess the coach at the time was the Packers, Mike Sherman. And Sapp went up to shake his hand, and and Sherman said something to him and shoved him away. Warren Sapp of all people. And Sapp reeled around, and I'm right there. And, and he's telling, he goes, "Put a jersey on, put a jersey on." And like they had to be separated. And you never you didn't see head coaches and players that often in that kind of a nose to nose kind of situation. Um, and uh, but there were cameras there, and it was it was it was it was pretty awkward. And that was as close as I've been to some to something crazy like that. Uh, but I mean, in terms of I saw some of the video from this. I mean, how in the world? Why? Why in the world would those Michigan State players think that's that's even remotely uh, something that would be considered acceptable? It was frightening, and uh, what, whatever happens to them to those guys, you know, may not be severe enough. What the what the institution does is one thing, but but absolutely, Jim Harbaugh came out and said, you know, criminal trials need. Charges need to be filed, and they very, very will be. That was, that was, that was not a good look at all, and pales in comparison to a Darth Vader suit. I might add. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is a lot going on that uh, everyone out there needs to be keeping track of what Chris and Scott are doing to make sure you know what's happening. Uh, we've got obviously football at AM. We have basketball getting underway on Monday, so make sure to follow these guys online at Gators Scott at Gators Chris. All of the content, of course, found on Florida Gators. Dot com. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Have a great rest of your week. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Adam. Legacies loom large in college football, where it's normal to see sons follow fathers and brothers follow brothers. One of the latest duos to grace Gainesville is the Hendersons, first with star cornerback CJ and now on-the-rise receiver Xavier. The younger brother had his biggest play to date in Jacksonville with an explosive 78-yard touchdown catch. And we begin our chat by asking him to take us through that moment. It was a um, basic Ohio concept. Um, out, go on the outside, um, outside release so he could feel me protect for the out route. And the safety kind of bit down on um, Ricky Pearsall's out route. And he didn't really get off the hash. And Anthony hit me on the whole shot. <laughs> I was running, looking at the um, scoreboard the whole time. I noticed that. I saw that you looked up there. Was that the only way you knew there was no one behind you when you looked up and saw the board? Yeah, I looked up just to me. I made sure I won. You feel me being chased? <laughs> <laughs> did you know pretty much the second you got it that you were that you were going all the way? Could you? I mean, did you know based on the coverage that you basically had it won at that point? Yeah, yeah. I seen I seen him um, bite down on the out route, and I was like, oh yeah. I just I was just hoping Ant see me, and he did. Shoot, we made it work. That's right. Um, I will get back to what's going on in the field in one second, but I want to uh, roll things back for you a little bit. Can you take us through, uh, tell us about your family, where you grew up, the uh, the early years for you. And we're going back to Miami, um, down South Florida. Mm-hmm. I'm from a, a small town called Cutler Bay. Yeah, I'm from that way. Um, I've been, I've played a lot of sports. I done played um, basketball, I done ran track, um, I done swam, played volleyball, cross country. Um, I seen my brother, he had a lot of success at, Christopher Columbus High School, so it made me want to gravitate towards that route, um, taking a private school route, and we had a lot of success there, too. Um, my high school, I'm an alma mater at um, Christopher Columbus. 
Um, they still have a success there. Look like they might compete for a state championship this year. Wow. And uh, from there, I came here to the uh, University of Florida. You mentioned all the sports that, that you played growing up. What made you really focus on football? Were there others? I mean, you talked about swimming, cross country. It seems like you could have done almost anything. Why was football the thing that you really stuck with? Uh, I chose football because that's where I had the most success. And um, coming into that private school, I, um, I built the most friends um, playing football. And like we kind of built the brotherhood there. And then I got my first offer my freshman year and I just hit the ball rolling. It was it was it was between that and track and I had more success in football, so it was like the faster route. And it was gonna pay for my own education, so it was like, why not? That's if you can if you can get it, right? That's great. Yes, sir. You you mentioned your brother and, and following his footsteps. Can you tell us about him and, and that relationship? Uh yeah. Um my brother, he uh he he went to the um the same high school as me, same middle school, same we actually shared a room up until he left for college. Hmm. So, yeah, we was pretty um, tight-knit. I done watched this whole process. And, he, yeah, he a real role model for me because he, he basically doing my dream, like <laughs> what what I want to do with my life. And for him, he has the dream job that, I ha- that I'm still working for. Mm-hmm. Um, he showed me the way to do it, how to do it. He does everything um, to the best of his ability. And that's what I strive to be. So – Having CJ and, and seeing his experience at UF, how much did that make you gravitate toward the Gators and, and want to follow that path as well? I play a whole different position. So and Florida was a dream school for him coming up. For me, it was kind of different. I, I weighed on all my options and Florida just felt um, more home, more at home because I was there so much, so many times. Like mm-hmm. I used to come up for his games every other weekend and, and I used to have fun up here. And uh yeah, I, I like the school. I like the culture of Florida, and, and yeah, it just made me want to play harder. So he obviously is a, a DB. You are a receiver. Did you guys always go up against each other for when you were younger? Did you play the same position? What was that like? Uh, nah, he um in high school he actually didn't play DB until his senior year. Oh wow! So he was actually a running back on um, wide mm-hmm. receiver. So yeah, he he was more of a running back um through his um early years like through Pop Warner and through the early years of high school. So he really played offense and stuff like that. So I ain't really too much go against him um, in a practice setting. I was going against guys like Trajan Bandy from UM. He graduated, mm-hmm. um, left from UM. Or um, Joshua Joe, um, Alabama. Those guys came through through that high school too. And yeah, those guys locked me up my, my um, freshman <laughs> year. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty good competition, um, on the track and on the field, but on like, as far as one-on-one, yeah, we don't too much, um, go against each other like that. At least not yet. Do you ever line, like now, if you guys are at Thanksgiving, like do you ever line up at Thanksgiving? Is it, is it, is it only going to happen if it happens in the NFL or does it happen maybe for fun sometimes? Yeah, it happens for fun, but we don't do like full routes. Like we'll do some releases here and there, or, okay. like we'll race here and there or something like that, but. Nah, it, it not no full out. Nah, not really. Who wins the races most of the time? Most of the time, I, I ain't gonna say I'm gonna analyze him because he got <laughs> me. He got that quick twitch. He got that start, but I got um, longer speed. So if we if we run some with distance, it's me all day. 
But I appreciate your honesty about that. I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> um, so, okay. So by the time you came to the program, he was, he had, he had moved on to the next level. So when you came in, who took you under their wing and, and kind of showed you the ropes? I would say my brother took me under his wing before I came. Okay. Um, yeah. He kind of um, gave me the ins and outs of Gainesville and, and I kind of gave it to him myself as well. Like um, just riding around on the scooter, getting familiar with the area with the coaching staff um, through recruitment. Um, you know, he had multiple coaching staffs as well. So I got to know them as time progressed. And by the time I got there, it was like I had been there for two years already. Mm-hmm. Or So it was, it was kind of like comfortable for me. But um, I could probably say uh, the guys that were his roommates, it'll probably be him and uh, Sean Davis, Marco Wilson, um, Donovan Steiner, those guys. Yeah, I could mm-hmm. probably say those were some good good role models when I first came in because they were still here after he he left. So you were obviously recruited by Coach Mullen and the previous staff, and then this change happens. Um, what were the most challenging parts of the transition, and wh- what what were you able to buy into? When the new staff came in, what got you on board and said, okay, I- I'm staying here, I'm I'm rolling with these guys? Um, They came in, um, seemed like they, were, they uh, wanted to do the right things, Um. They're real players, coaches. Um, they want to see you succeed in life, um, like past the football field. So that was that was kind of the main thing that kept me going. Um, they seemed like they want they they were headed in the right direction, and I just wanted to see if they was gonna hold up to their word. And they um they pretty much have been holding up on their end. And uh, I'm in love with the University of Florida at this point, so I, I'm I'm here to work. Anyway. So this year you've gotten to work with uh, with Coach Colbert. And uh, he's got a pretty impressive pass, won a national championship, played in the league. What have you learned working with him as your new receivers coach this year? Um, working with Coach Cobra is pretty fun because he's he's a guy that's done it as well. He's um he's been through the national championship teams. He's been on uh he's been to the NFL. He's he's seen some of the greatest wide receivers that I know um that come through college and. Um, he really knows what he's talking about. Um, he's a cool guy, um, good personality. Uh, he, kind of, he he relates to our receiver room, so it's it's cool working. With. So you mentioned earlier being from Miami. Um, Gainesville is still in Florida, but it, it it's not Miami, right? So what do you miss most from uh, from the, the the 305 that you like to go back and, and get when you can? Miami, yeah, yeah. Gainesville is way slower paced than Miami. I can yeah. say that first. Um, it's a good and bad thing some days, but uh, I would say the food. I, the diversity of food in Miami is is crazy. Uh, you can go from Mediterranean to Jamaican food, island food, Mexican, um, Chinese, <laughs> all mm-hmm. kind of um, it's all kind of food down there. That mm-hmm. I, that's what I miss the most. What do you like doing away from the field when you have a chance to get a, away from football? What what's the go to for you? I got time to do other stuff. When I'm not on the field, I'm trying to get my degree. I ain't gonna lie. Mm on track to gra- graduate next December. So nice. that's probably uh, what I'll be working on the most. Other than that, probably some Netflix. I got a little Frenchie I'll be playing with time to time. Okay. Best thing you watched on Netflix recently? Recently? Got to say Ozark. Okay. I Ozark, support that. Yeah. I support that. <laughs> um, all right. Final thing for you. It, Coach Napier's talked so much about culture, and, and we saw you know just a few days ago what can happen if someone is not fully bought into that culture? How are you seeing and experiencing that culture being built from within and really establishing kind of a new path forward for the program? 
Um, yeah, I see that that culture being built from um from Coach Napier. He wants you to do the right thing on and off the field, um, in the classroom, as far as showing up to breakfast, showing up on time, having your locker clean. Uh, it's kind of paving the way for the young guys, younger guys who um come from all different places, and and when those guys get older, I, I'm gonna see that they um it's gonna be a real player led team, um, in the future. Um, he's still kind of getting comfortable with the older guys here because he hasn't recruited them, but it's going I see I, I can see what he's doing and I can see hey, the plan that he has going forward. Well, Xavier, thank you so much for your time and we wish you a lot of luck going forward, okay? Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. And that's gonna do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting FloridaGators.com, then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales. Gator Tales.